So uh, I want to thank Ramendi and for all of you for, for being here uh, tonight, for giving me the opportunity to, to kind of share some Divrei Torah with you. The, the idea here, Ramendi said we should do Nach. So I thought that we can begin, uh, because we have a, only a few times that we'll meet, at least for now, that we can bin, begin with an overview uh, of the, the Sifre Nevim Rishonim, right? The first Nevim, right? And tonight we're going to look at Sefer Yehoshua. When I say overview, right, what do we mean by that? Right? I'm, not, I'm not talking about you know, kind of breaking down the book into exceptions, although I've put for you on, these, on the source sheets a very broad kind of uh, sectioning of the Sefer. Right? So we can have an orientation as to what the Sefer is, and we'll look at that. But more a question of what is an overall theme, a, an overarching theme that is important to have in, in mind if one was to read the Sefer, right? If one was to go through Yehoshua. And I hope that uh, I have absolutely no idea nor assumptions as to what kind of, you know, Nach learning people are engaged in. Uh, unfortunately, oftentimes, it's not always central, right? We, we go straight to the Talmud, and there's reason for that. Tosfot uh, is very well known for saying that everything's in the Talmud. That's why it's called, it's a play on words. Tosfot says, Talmud Bavli, Right? Everything is mixed into the, to the Talmud. As you get through, you, you certainly read through and get it. But uh, uh, there's no question about the fact that nothing really can replace learning the Makor, the Sfarim in, in the Makor, to be able to see the, uh, the books of the Tanakh and the Arma Farshim in their, in their source. And so uh, if, if, if that at all encourages one to kind of you know, engage in actually learning the Sefer, but regardless, it's helpful to be able to recognize kind of some of these broad ideas that are presented. So what I wanted to do with you tonight in the time that we have, because I know that we have a hard stop at nine, there's kolol, if I'm right, is to kind of look at key themes in the book to be able to have a sense of really what it is that it's telling us and what it is that it's meant to kind of present in its broadest terms. So Chazal say, so I, I, I've given you a, 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 a you know, sheet, source sheet. Not all of the sources that I'm going to quote are in this sheet, right? Some of them I just wanted to put on here to be able to orient us. But nonetheless, I'm going to, we're going to kind of speak about some things outside. Chazal say a very interesting thing about Sefer Yehoshua. And because we're coming up on Purim, which we're actually going to have to talk a lot about tonight, right? But because we're coming up on Purim, I'll mention, you know, there's a very famous uh, uh, Rambam at the end of Hilchot uh, Megillah. We have a Rambam here, easy access? Easy access? No, it's okay, it's okay. No, 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 no. It's at the back. It's at the back. I see it's back. So I'll quote it for you. You'll see it afterwards. The end of Hilchot Megillah. The Rambam writes, Kol has la'atid lavo, right? In the, days, in the end of the days of Mashiach and further, Kol asfarim atidim li batel, he says. All of the Sfarim are ultimately going to be nullified. Which Sfarim is he talking about? The Sfarim of the Tanakh. And he says, all the Sfarim, except for Chamishachum She Torah, the five books of the Torah that will remain, right? Why? Because they're the mitzvot, right? The mitzvot remain for, forever. And one other Sefer. And the other Sefer is Megillat Esther, which is fascinating, right? Again, not for tonight. We're going to be speaking a lot about Purim tonight and Megillat Esther and so on because it coincides. But what Chazal do say is that the back of that halacha is another way to look at it. And that is that none of the books were meant to be written. 
The only one that was meant to be written, this is another way of looking at it, as I said, was the books of the Torah, the five books of the Torah, and Sefer Yoshua. Everything else was written because we made mistakes. Because we failed. Because there were issues going on, and so there needed to be Nevi'im sent to Klal Israel. There, there was complaints of all sorts, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to engage and intervene. And so these books chronicle the issues and failures of Klal Israel, which we will talk about at least in terms of Nevi'im Rishonim. But you think about you know, the Haftarot that we read. How, how often do we read Haftarah? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is talking to Israel, saying, listen, come back, do tshuva. I'm bringing this to you, that to you. These books are responses to, to essentially failures in terms of our, our engagement with the Brit, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Chazal say, on the one hand, the only books that should have been written is the five books of the Torah and Sefer Yoshua. On the other hand, the Rambam says they'll be nullified, except for Megillat Esther. So there's this interesting thing between Sefer Yoshua and Megillat Esther, which I'm going to put on the side. But what they mean, they, they extend, Chazal extend, and they say the reason why Sefer Yoshua would have been written is because it talks about the coming into Eretz Israel. And that's meant from the beginning. That was the whole thing. So when HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaks to Avraham Avinu, very interestingly, he does not talk to Avraham Avinu about a Torah. What does he talk to Avraham Avinu about? What is the key uh, pact and promise that he makes with him? It's on what? The land. Yitzchak, same thing. It's the land. Yaakov, the land. He hires Moshe Rabbeinu at the burning bush, at the Sneh. What does he say to Moshe Rabbeinu at the Sneh? He says, I have a Torah to give Am Yisrael. No, he does not say that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes no mention of a Torah at all except for one uh, hinting phrase. He says, well, by the way, Ta'avdunoti alahar hazeh. It goes, later, you'll come and serve me at this mountain. It's all that's said. It doesn't say, Moshe Rabbeinu, I have this t- beautiful gift to give Klaus. I want you to go in and take it out so I can give it to him. It's not mentioned. What is mentioned to Moshe Rabbeinu? I promised their forefathers land. They're in the wrong land. They're stuck. I want you to take them out and bring them in. That's, how, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is hired for. Unfortunately, Moshe Rabbeinu only does half of that. He doesn't end up being able to bring them in. Who does? Yoshua. So Yoshua, and we're going to look at that, right? Being the Talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu, he's the Talmud Muvhak of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? He is the Talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the one that ends up bringing them in. And that book is essential, say Chazal, because that was the goal of the entire uh, Brit in the first place. Right? It was the whole impetus for the start of, of HaKadosh Hu talking to Avraham Avinu. So that's a key book. So that's helpful for us just to be able to know in general, right? The book was always... Uh, a key aspect of the written Torah, of the Torah Shebikhtav. It talks about the whole goal of Klal Yisrael starting with Avraham Avinu from the beginning, which is Knisa La'aretz. So it's a major work, right? This is, this is majorly important to us. But there is a massive shift that occurs between the death of Moshe Rabbeinu and the taking of the mantle of Yehoshua, his student, in terms of what? In terms of the interactions between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the people. There is a massive shift. The question is, what is that shift? What changes when Moshe Rabbeinu dies? Right? The opening words of Sefer Yehoshua is, Vahiyah Mot Moshe. 
And it was after the death of Moshe, and Kadosh Baruch Hu speaks to Yeshua. And he says to him over and over and over again, two words. Anybody know what those two words are? I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just checking to see where the, where, where the audience is. Anybody know what those two words are? He says it over and over. He says, Chazak ve'emat. Again and again and again. Again, I encourage you to read it, right? I encourage you afterwards, before you go to sleep at, tonight, you know, kind of reviewing this year. Read the first uh, perek of Yoshua, reflecting on, 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 you know, what we spoke about. Keeps telling him strength, strength. Courage, strength. So there's some kind of chizuk that needs to be given to Yoshua over here. Yoshua needs to bring these people across the Yarden into the land. And there are very clear shifts that are starkly mark, marked by the people, right? What are some of the things that change? One thing that we know changes, which is explicit in the psukim is that throughout the years of the Midbar, the people had a very special uh, uh, food service. Right? What, what, what was the food service? It was the man. The man ends when they cross the river and come into the land. Stops falling. What else do they have to do when they come into the, to the land after the river opens? Very interesting, very strange thing. Sorry? Well, that might be. The washing up entails a very key surgery for all of the men. There's no Brit Milah going on in the desert. Right? We don't always pay attention to that. But for the 40 years of the desert, there was no Brit Milah. We're going to have to understand why there was no Brit Milah. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Yoshua after they crossed the Yarden, he says, look, you're going to need to do Brit Milah to everybody. So there's like a massive Brit Milah that's held for everybody after they cross the Yarden, which is extremely telling, extremely telling. So the man stops. You know what else stops? The Ananea Kavod, right? It says Aharon dies. That slows down. Miriam dies. The Be'er ends. And the man was left in Zchut of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu dies. It holds until they cross the Yarden. That stops. And they are told explicitly, you will now need to eat from the produce of the land. Well, how are they going to do that? What does it require of them? It requires them to work the land. So what's changing here? What's changing here? Think about what's going on in the, in the Midbar, what's going on in the desert. And as they come through the Yarden, what's shifting? How? So I said that. That's very good. But how, what's happening? He's giving to them all the time in the desert. Yes. And now they have to work for them. Precisely. So in a certain way, there is a bit of a stepping back of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, the stepping back is not because anybody's done anything wrong. Why is he stepping back? This is very important. I want you to, to, to work with me here a little bit, just a little bit. Why do you think he stepped? Why is Hakadosh Baruch Hu not doing these things? He's not giving them man. He's telling me you're going to pull it out of the earth. I need you to do Brit Milah now. What's happening? Stand on their own two feet. Get more independent. Wants them to stand on their own two feet, become more independent. Absolutely true. Ah, ah. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. 
now put into the enemy zone. Yes. And he's, they're, they're back, they're back so they're there. What does it mean to be engaged in Breit, I ask you? Is, is, is Breit unilateral? No, it's to cut yourself off from knowing now that you're in the enemy zone. Mm -hmm. And it's a cut like a spiritual cut off. You know that well, a bit. We'll see. It's a bit of a, it's a, there's certainly a distancing, but remember, uh, you, you, you remember the, the war with Yericho. The walls come down, right? All they have to do is just do like hakafot around the city and the walls come down. So it's not a detachment of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence completely. But again, I ask you, is Brit unilateral? No. no, what is it? Well, you give me this and I'll give you that. It's bilateral, by definition, right? Covenant. It's a contract. Two parties. Yeah? There's a Kadosh Baruch Hu on one end, and there's us on the other end. Until now, we are not yet of age, so to speak, to engage fully in the contract. Why? Because we come out of Mitzrayim, and we are, for all terms and purposes, inept. We're not capable of coming out of Mitzrayim and being full-fledged members. As a matter of fact, let's not forget that the entire adult cohort that comes out of Mitzrayim, dies in the Midbar because they couldn't hack it. In other words, they come to the land. Remember, this is not the first time that they're coming to the edge of the land. The first time that they come to the edge of the land, Moshe sends 12 spies in, and it's a complete failure. They can't hack it. Creates Tisha B'Av, creates the 40 years of, of wandering in the Midbar, right? The first go was a non-successful go. So they're not ready. So what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu say to them? It's very poetic and yet poignant at the same time. The people say, The Meraglim come back and they say, our children are going, to be, are going to be destroyed. They're going to be completely lost. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu's response to them is, the children that you were so worried about are the ones that are going to go into that land. And you are going to fall in the desert, Right? Which is precisely what happened. So the, another thing to very, be, that's very important to recognize is that the people that we are reading about in Sefer Yoshua, meaning Klal Yisrael, in Sefer Yoshua, are the children of the people who left Mitzrayim. They, if they left Mitzrayim, they were, they were under 20 years old. Or born in the Midbar, and may, may never have even known Mitzrayim. What were they born into? What were they born into? They were born into, not, well, they were certainly born into freedom, but they were born into a system in which bread was falling from the sky. They, like Moshe Rabbeinu says to them before he dies, which means your clothes did not wither, your feet did not swell, 40 years. You were completely air-conditioned, completely environment-conditioned. You were completely taken care of, hold, held, embraced, and, 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 and brought through by God. This is where people are born, which is a wonderful way to grow up. You're, you're supported. But there does come a time, like at Barabat Mitzvah, for example, in which you are now on your own in terms of your responsibilities for managing mitzvot for managing this relationship that you have with the Kadosh Baruch Hu. The reason for that at Bar Bat Mitzvah, why is it then? Because that's when we come of age, as it were, and begin to be people who relate to a world in relationship terms. Before we get to that point in life as human beings, 
We don't really engage in relationship-oriented thinking. What do I mean by that? Children, it's not, an all, it's not an on or off button. I mean, there's gradual progression towards it. But the younger a child is, the less a child is thinking, how can I make you understand what I'm saying? It's, there's no sensitivity or very little sensitivity to what your world is as opposed to my world. How can I speak to you in terms of your world so that you better understand my world, which is an adult thing to do, which many adults still have trouble with, but nonetheless. But children only look at anyone and anything as extensions of their own world. Piaget points this out, right? He was very famous for his studies that he did on children. But essentially, children think in terms of me and what you are to me. And at what we call puberty, right, which is essentially 12 and 13, which is why there are different ages for boys and girls, there is a, an awakening almost overnight of out there and other people that I can relate to and engage with and so on and so forth and how it is that I am able to begin engaging. And because of that, we can begin engaging with Kadosh Baruch Hu also in a way that we were not ready to beforehand. So at the point of crossing the Yarden, there is an allowance. What do parents need to do with their kids when they start to get to this age? Do they not have to start taking steps back? I mean, it's the most difficult thing sometimes, right? How do we do this, right? Without uh, kind of keeping on, uh, it's like helicopter parenting, as they call it, right? Always hovering over them and watching what's going on. It's not an easy thing to do. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing it, and he's modeling it. And one of the ways that he does that is that man is no longer falling from the sky. He's telling Yehoshua, they now need to actively engage in Brit again. Do Brit Milah. The 40 years of the Midbar, they were not actively engaged in Brit. HaKadosh Baruch was taking care of them, but they were not engaged. They didn't do Brit Milah. Why? Because it wasn't fully functioning in a practical way yet. They crossed the Yarden. You're going to plant your own food. You're going to reap your own food. You're going to be, as you say, independent, standing on your own two feet, but so that you can be a genuine other in this relationship that we have. There's you and there's me. And we are going to interact that way. I am with you. I support you. This is a joint endeavor between you and me, but there's you and me, not me and me, right? which in the Midbar, for all intents and purposes, they were very small. They were treated that way. So, Yehush, so who's Moshe Rabbeinu? Right? Moshe is not the one to do this. Moshe is the one who takes care of these people like a mother carries a nursing infant. And by the way, I'm not drawing that analogy from the top of my head. Moshe Rabbeinu himself says that. Where does he say that? He says it in Parshat Balotcha. When does he say it? He says it when the people complain for meat. Remember that story, right? People complain for meat. Moshe Rabbeinu, it is one of the worst breakdowns of Moshe Rabbeinu's career. If not the worst. Which is very, very strange because this is a man who's gone through the golden calf, who's gone through the 12 spies coming back and destroying things. And when the people complain for meat, what does he say? I mean, the most harsh response to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Not even to the people, just to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You know what he says to them? He says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Im kachat oseli, 
He goes, if this is what you're going to do to me, you're going to make me have to find meat for all of these people? Horgeni Naharog. Kill me now. I don't want to see my own wretchedness. He says, He says to this is, He's talking to Kadosh Baruch this way. He says, You're telling me to lift this people. Like a nursing mother carries an infant. He says, Where do I have meat? What is Moshe Rabbeinu saying? He goes, I only have milk. I don't have meat. I'm a nursing mother. That's what you've asked me to do. And it is what I'm doing. It's, by the way, what the man was for B'nai Israel all of those years. It was mother's milk. That's why Chazal say, there's beautiful Gemara that says there are some things that nursing mothers shouldn't eat when they're breastfeeding. Garlic, onion, things like that. And there's the same thing on the Gemara. It says, oh, and by the way, there were certain things that the man didn't taste like. You know, the Midrash, it says the man tasted like anything he wanted, except for garlic and onion. So anybody who likes that stuff, unfortunately, it wasn't there for you. But nonetheless, it's another way of showing the man is mother's milk. Moshe Rabbeinu is nursing mother. Incidentally, think about it. All of the, of the mentors, supporters, uh, uh, kind of adults that were caring and took care of Moshe for his life when he was young, were all women. It was Bityabat Paro, it was his own mother Yocheved, it was Miriam, his sister, right? So Moshe was okay, he was comfortable with nursing the people, nurturing the people, taking care of the people. What was his Torah like, by the way? Did his Torah leave any room for anybody else to say anything? No, it's also in Balotcha. You know what else happens in Balotcha? The Pesach Sheni happens in Balotcha. What's, what's Pesach Sheni? Pesach Sheni. There were people that were Tameh le Nefesh Adam. They were, for whatever reason, Tameh. They couldn't do Korban Pesach in its time because they were, they were Tumat Met. So they come to Moshe Rabbeinu and they say, Lama Nigara? Why should we be kept out? There's got to be an option for us. With Korban Pesach, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have an opportunity to do. What does Moshe say to them? He says, look, it's a good question. Let me ask HaKadosh Baruch He goes and asks HaKadosh Baruch HaKadosh Baruch says, this is what they should do. Next month, this time, they'll, have, they'll do the Korban Pesach, Matzah, Maror. They'll fulfill it that way. And by the way, say, for all future generations, anytime anybody's got an issue where they're Tameh, the Nefesh Adam, that's what we know is Pesach Sheni. Did Moshe Rabbeinu say, hold on, let me go and see, and uh, I'll do a bit of Shakla Vitaria, and I'll, I'll go ask, I'll, 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 you know, I'll talk to my Chavrusa, and we'll figure it out, maybe I'll write a tshuva. No. What does he do? He says, I'll ask God. He asks God, and it becomes part of Torah Shvichtav. It's written Torah. It's, you want to know what it is? I'll tell you. You're hungry? I'll feed you. Interestingly, what were the people complaining for when Moshe Rabbeinu had this big nursing mother breakdown? Meat. Meat is very different than milk, isn't it? I mean, mother's milk, by definition, is baby food. All milk is baby food. We just drink cow's baby food. But milk, by definition, is baby food. It's perfectly tailored to the baby. Meat is the exact opposite of that. You need an adult to be able to have meat. You need to know how to slaughter the animal. You need to know how to skin the animal. You need to know how to be able to 
cut away the pieces of the meat. You need to be able to know how to cook the meat. You certainly need teeth in order to be able to bite the meat, chew the meat. You need to be able to have a strong digestive system in order to be able to digest the meat over a period of two weeks. That's adult food. And the people were asking for adult food. Perhaps one of the reasons why mixing milk and meat is a no-no. And all Moshe was saying to them is, I am not a meat person. I'm a milk person. I don't know why you're putting me in this position. He says that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's answer to him is, I didn't ask you to do that. I'll do it. Let me do it. I'll take care of it, Moshe. Don't worry. Interesting. He doesn't say to Moshe Rabbeinu, he goes, now Moshe, I know you can do this. Like he does at the Sneh with the burning bush. When Moshe says, try to find somebody else, I don't think it's me. There, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you can do this, Moshe. I'll be with you. The meat-milk issue, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you're right, I'm not asking you to do it, I'm going to do it. You're fine, don't worry. Also, interestingly, that's where the Sanhedrin is birthed. Because in those same sukim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe, he goes, by the way, He goes, Moshe, could you get 70 elders around for me? I'm going to ask them to help you out. In the meat-milk complaint, that's where it happens. Why? Because it's the setting up of the Sanhedrin. Which is very important, because the Sanhedrin is in charge of what? Justice. True, but in Torah terms, what are they in charge of? Which laws? Halacha. What we would call Torah Shabal Peh. The Rambam, at the beginning of Hilchot Mamrim, he says, Bet Din HaGadol, which is what we call the Sanhedrin, right? The, the, the Supreme Court. Hem Ikar Torah Shebal Peh. They are the very roots of Torah Shebal Peh. Not Torah Shebikhtav. Torah Shebikhtav is locked. It's done. You can't add or subtract to it, correct? Right? Lo Tosifu Allah velo Who gave us Torah Shebikhtav? That's Moshe Rabbeinu. The ultimate Navi. He's speaking to God, God's speaking through him, he's dictated to, he writes it down, that's Torah Shebikhtav. What's the Torah Shebaal Peh? What's the Sanhedrin doing? What's the Beti Nagadol doing? Interpreting. They're interpreting. They're looking and saying, okay, we can apply it this way, we can do it. The whole Talmud is all of the discussions, essentially, of a Beti Nagadol, and a, a, establishing how it is that they are applying the principles of Torah Shvichtav into practical terms. That's Torah Shabal Peh. That's Brit, my friends. That's covenant. Because the Torah is not just HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying to you, this is what you do. It's saying, these are the principles that I'm telling you you need to be able to adhere to. You decide how it is that you want to apply them. And that's what the Betina Gadol does. That's their legislation. That's how they legislate. It's like the Midrash of Chazal. You know, anybody on Chazal say on the Atem. Don't say Otam, right? You tell me when you see Rosh Chodesh. I'll adjust my, my diary accordingly. That's Brit. So a very important aspect of the Brit is that it is not unilateral. It is bilateral. It is HaKadosh Baruch Hu and us. And we have a say. So I want you to take a look at one thing on the, on the, uh, on the sheets that I gave you to be able to recognize this. 
very interesting Gemara. This is on the second page in Halchot, in the Masechet Mura. You see it? Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shmuel. Have you got it? Bottom of the second page, yeah? Or is it the second page? Yeah. Okay. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Shloshet alafim halachot nishtakhu bimeo vloshel Moshe. When Moshe Rabbeinu died, 3,000 halachot were forgotten in, in, the, in the depths of the mourning of Moshe Rabbeinu. Interesting. Interestingly, the people were very used to this kind of thing. When they didn't know what to do, what did they do? What did they do? Well, no, no. When, when Moshe was alive, when they didn't know what to do, what did they do? That was Moshe. And they said to Moshe, could you please ask God? And Moshe said, yeah, hang on, I'll ask God. It's the same thing with the Benot Slovchad, right? Remember that? Benot Slovchad come up to Moshe Rabbeinu and say, why should we be kept out? Moshe Rabbeinu says, hold on. Tell them this. So they had 3,000 alachot that were missing. So they went to Yeshua. They said to Yeshua, go ask. Navi, was it Navi? Go ask. What did he say to them? Loba shamaimi. He said, uh, it's no longer in heaven. I can't do that. If we don't read any more of the Gemara, you already see that it's absolutely fascinating. There's a hard stop after the death of Moshe Rabbeinu that no longer is there accessibility through nevuah, through asking God, in order to be able to determine Jewish law. The law has been given. It's all written. That's what we call Torah Shebikhtav. Everything else after that, that's up to you. The very, very story in Baba Metziah. You know the story. With Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Eliezer Agadol. You know the story? I'll, do, I'll tell you the story very, very quickly. Very quickly. Rabbi Eliezer Agadol, Rabbi Eliezer, was known to be a Mahmir. He was Beit Shammai. People were concerned about the fact that he was always Mahmir. So there was an entrepreneur who decided that he wanted to make an oven. In that time, they had ceramic ovens that could very easily become tameh. So he had some ingenious ideas to be able to make an oven that would not become tameh, or it'd be very difficult for it to become tameh. He also felt, if I can get the approval, the askama, of a Eliezer, everybody else is in the bag. Right? If a Eliezer, who's the most machmer, give me askama, everybody. So he goes to Rabbi Eliezer, his name was Achnai. This was Achnai's oven. He says, can I show you, Rebbe, you know, the, the oven? What say you? He said, it's tower. It's good. It's great. Okay. So he start manufacturing it. But he's in the Bet Midrash. And Rabbi Yushua is there. Rabbi Gamliel is there. Rabbi Akiva is there. He asks them. They say, no, sorry, it's, it's Tamir. He was a curveball, right? He was not, he was not expecting that. Rabbi Eliezer was not pleased. Rabbi Eliezer then said, if I am correct in my ruling, the tree that's outside should show. And the tree uproots and moves ten parsa and replants itself. Like crazy. The whole best man is like, this is crazy. I mean, who was expecting this this morning, right? You got this. Rabban Gamliel, who was the Nasi, he very silently and stilly said, Loba shamayim hi. We do not determine things by heaven. 
you can do all the tricks that you want and all of them, you can ask you know, for all the help that you want. It's inaccessible, it's in, uh, 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 what's the word? Sorry? Ineligible. It's ineligible, yeah. It's ineligible to be considered in our legal determinations. We determine the law. Rabbi Eliezer is very, very upset. He's not having any of this. He says, if, if I'm correct, then the stream that is running outside should show, and the stream starts flowing the opposite direction. The whole basement is getting very agitated now because he sees that Rabban Gamliel very, very quietly and still says, Loba Shabayim Rabbi Eliezer says, if I am correct, and he's getting not very, let the walls of the Bet Midrash show. And the walls of the Bet Midrash start caving in. At that point, Rabban Gamliel says, stop. And the walls stop. And the Gemara says they stayed that way out of kavod for both of them. Right? They didn't go back and they didn't fall. And Rabban Gamliel at that point, this is, the, this is where the story takes a very hard turn. Rabban Gamliel at that point put Rabbi in Cherem. You didn't learn this in Bab Go back, right? And he says, put Rabbi Eliezer in Cherem. And he said, Loba Shamaim hi. We do not determine halacha that way. The halacha is achare rabim hatot. We determine halacha according to the majority opinion. I'm the nasi. My chavirim have agreed to the halacha of this oven. You, Rabbi Eliezer, are dissenting. And it's unacceptable. And you will be kept in Cherem. And at the end of the day, Rabbi Eliezer... Uh, and Rabban Gamliel had quite a tumultuous interaction, which I leave you to look at afterwards, because we don't have the time tonight to continue the story. But that's an example of the fact that there is a hard and fast rule that from the death of Moshe Rabbeinu, nothing in halacha is determined from the Shamayim. It's inaccessible. It's, I keep saying inaccessible. It's, it's inadmissible. That's what I want to say. It's inadmissible. It is not accepted as far as law is concerned. This is one of the reasons why Eliyahu Navi, there's a whole discussion whether Eliyahu Navi's opinion holds weight. And Chazal say if he's having his own personal opinion, that's fine. If he's trying to communicate to us what it says in Shamaim, it's, in, it's inadmissible. Right? So this may sound very strange, but why do you think that this is the case based on what we've said? Breed. To not have that rule would abrogate the Brit. Because the Brit is HaKadosh Baruch who gave the principles in the written Torah. Your job, bilateral, your job is to now take those principles and you determine what the Halakha is. That's the partnership. And in order for that to happen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu steps back. He gives room for us to be able to do that. Of course he could tell us what the answers are. But as any good teacher knows, it's not always advisable to tell the students the answers. Sometimes you really want them to discover the answers on their own. So that they have some ownership of the knowledge and the engagement. Which is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does. I think it's more deep. Yeah, of course it is. But I'm giving an analogy. But what say you? Go ahead. Yes. And, and in fact, 
in a sense, the right one was wrong. What you're pointing out is that there is a cosmic right and wrong, and there is a local right and wrong. And what Rabbi Eliezer was trying to say is, cosmically, I'm right. And what Rabban Gamliel was saying is, it doesn't matter. Is, what, this, is this the first part of self-determination, where um, God has given us the initial laws, uh, you have sure it's taken over, he says, right, now you have to control yeah. yourselves. Yes, but the only thing that I, would, that I would add to that is, it's not now you guys go off and do your thing. It's you need to be a full-fledged individual if there is going to be genuine relationship between you and me here, because you need to be a you. Right? So in the same way that in any important relationship in our lives, it is very important that there is not one or the other in the mutual relationship that is overbearing or overpowering the other, right? It's not relationship. That's control. Real relationship is sharing between two individual parties. So there needs to be two clear people that are able to come together and be one. But the one is made of two unique individuals. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is insisting on over here. And that's what's happening when Yeshua comes into the Aretz. So that is the whole beginning of Yoshua. That's what happens, right? They forget these halachot, according to Chazal. They go to Yoshua and say, go ask. Yoshua's response is the same response of Ban Gamliel to Be'elezer. Lo So who ends up saving the day at the end? Otniel bin Knaz. Take a look at the end of the Gemara. First, you know, Yoshua was getting into deep, deep hot water because Klal Yisrael were not, were not being patient, right? Saying, so at the last line, he says, He goes, I can't tell you what the answer is. I've locked that out. Turdan He goes, why don't you get them involved in war? So at least it'll shift some of the heat. So it says he does that. But then it says, Rabbi Avhu says, even though he needed to distract them and they forgot all these halachot, Otniel ben Knaz mitoch pilpulo. Otniel ben Knaz, through his intellectual engagement and endeavor, his pilpul, brought them all back. He was able to renew all that. That was acceptable. That was admissible. Why? That was the point. You figure it out. Even if it's not what the cosmic answer is. You've done it. Everybody's agreed. You followed the rules as to how you're supposed to do it, which there are rules. You've done it well. I will. I adjust accordingly. That's part of the breed. You tell me what Rosh Chodesh is. I'll adjust my diary. You've determined that the interpretation of this particular halacha is this way? That's what the whole. That's what the majority of the of the Sanhedrin agreed to. I adjust accordingly. Why? That's the Brit. That's our relationship. As long as you never say that what's written in my book is no longer valid, which is why he says to Yeshua, and you may know this because we include this in the davening, Lo yamush sefer haTorah zemipicha. Interestingly. Gadosh Baruch says to Yeshua at the very beginning, goes, this book that you've got, this Torah that I gave you, the written one, it should not leave your mouth. Your mouth. It doesn't say it should leave your mind, it should leave your... 
your mouth. Why? That's Torah Shabbat Peh. When you engage in Torah Shabbat Peh, it better be based on all of that's written in there. So when does that stop? That's a very good question. And when it stops, this is the second question, when it yeah. stops, does it mean we don't have a brick anymore? Ah. So I'm going to say to Rav Mendi, this is another shear. Right? But to answer you very briefly, right, when we no longer have a legislative body that is empowered by Torah to do so, we lose the capacity to do so. Does it mean there's no Brit anymore? Quite the contrary. Because we have the Brit, we adhere to the rules of the Brit, and we do not legislate without the legislative body. So what that means is we're stuck. Because it means there is a lack of movement in terms of the determination, responsiveness of halacha. But because of the Brit, we wait. So now, recognize that. I want to say, now the second section of this. Yeah? So now that we've established this, we recognize that what's happening with Yoshua is that there is Brit is being kicked in again. Brit Milah is occurring. Man is stopping. You eat from your own toil and drawing from the earth. You determine the halachot. You just make sure that you adhere to my book and my writings and so on. We have this bilateral covenant, unique relationship of you and me. This is how it's running from now on. Yeah? I'm going to take a step back, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm going to give you room to be able to do this, but I am right with you, I am partnering with you, we're going to do a joint endeavor. Not like the Midbar, where I was running everything. Joint endeavor. You do your thing, I do my thing, and we're going to run that way. Yoshua is the man to be able to do this. And Yoshua continues. But there is this interesting aspect of it that also comes in. And that is that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu steps back and allows for room, it needs to provide a, a, a certain level of license, a certain level of liberty, right? In other words, I need, what did Otniel ben Kenaz need, for example, in order to be able, through his pilpul, to bring the stuff back? He needed some latitude. He needed options to be open to him. In other words... It wasn't determined for Otniel bin Kanaz what the answers were going to be. There were possibilities, yes? You with me? There were possibilities, right? He, if they were determined, then it would have been easy. Follow the formula and finish. It doesn't say that he followed the formula. It says, mitoch pilpulo. Pilpulo means he was going through very creative ways of looking at this. That's what pilpul is. So that means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu stepping back allows for a certain element of non-determined realities. So there's no wrong. There's no wrong. There had to be rules. They had to adhere to certain rules of, of adjudication and legislation. But if they adhere to those rules, what their determination was was the reality. What I'm saying is more than that. What I'm saying, the very allowance of process means that there is an indeterminate aspect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's pulling back. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu's there, the answers are there. You ask God, He tells you the answer. It's, there's no room. There's no chance for anything else to happen. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu's stepping back allows for is room for possibilities that you need to discover. Right? Are you with me on that? Right? Which is why... How is the land and its uh, uh, divvying up determined? Anybody know? How do we determine which shevet gets which piece of land? Well, 
No. The size was made as a result of which uh, Shevet got the land, but we didn't know which territory they should be in. How do we know which territory they should be in? How is it done? Few of them chose it. Come now, come. Yes, and they t- on the Evira Yarden, but that was not the, that was a whole problem, wasn't it? It was a huge issue. Goral. Goral. Lottery. Lottery. Yes. That's mefur. That's beferush. That's mefurush in the sefer. It had to be, didn't it? Because some of the tribes elected. Yes, some of the tribes elected, and it was a, a huge scandal. Moshe Rabbeinu got very, very upset. They had to kind of be, he had to relax and there had to be an agreement and they had to promise that they were going to go in and fight with the people all the way till they were done. Ended up spending 14 years away from all. Well, that was okay. That was the thing, but that was not expected. Hagadosh Baruch Hu says, the way that you determine which Shevet gets which piece of land is Goral. Lotteries. That's very strange. Not, nobody would have guessed that, right? If we didn't know it. So I think once you realize the territory, you can draw the lines that fits the Shevet. It's the only garage that everyone gets a <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting. Depends which territory you want. But it's interesting. But it's very interesting. It's very interesting that that is the mechanism here that Yoshua has to, has to do. What is Goral? I mean, what is the, what is the meaning of that? It's, it's certainly indeterminate. Right? We're throwing things into chance over there by definition. That's what a goral is. And however does it come as it comes. It's part of the way that we do things. Which is strange. But it also shows that we are not just going to ask for answers. We are allowing for the natural flow of things to be able to determine things for us. It's almost like the first signs of democracy. Well, maybe. Beforehand, it's almost mm-hmm. like living under Hashem's rule. He's mm-hmm. the dictator. Um, and now all, all of a sudden he goes, right, you're on your own. Set up your own. Uh, but I want to caution that again. Not you're on your own. Right? Very important not to... Not, but you are right about the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is taking a bit of a, 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 a removal of the controls. Right? As it says in the Sefer also, it says, Ish tachat gafnov, ish tachat teinato. Everybody was sitting under their fig and, and grape, grapevine and fig tree. They were very happy. It said, Shalom nafshi. They were finally, finally there and they had some of their space. So there is definitely a pulling back in terms of control, right? Moshe Rabbeinu is no longer going to ask God for the answer. There is an openness, which is what the Goral very strongly shows, Right? Let's see where things fall. Does that not allow errors to then start creeping in? Does that not lend? Errors. No. Errors. Mistakes. Errors. Yeah. Yes, yes. I thought you were saying Hebrew errors. I was like, errors. No, errors. Yes, 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 of course. But that's okay. Nobody died from mistakes. Right? I'll, I'll, to answer that, right, consider what, what uh, Moed do we have that deals with mistakes? There's a whole moed that we have that deals with mistakes. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. No, no, a moed, a chag. Not a chag, it's not a chag, but a, 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 a yom, a yom tov. Yom Kippur. What is the central avoda of Yom Kippur as the Torah prescribes it? Not as we do, as the Torah prescribes it. What's central avoda? You need the 
What is it? What's the avoda? The avoda. There was only one person who did avoda on Yom Kippur. And what did he do? What was the main? What was the centerpiece of the day? Was the kapara right? And what was the major kapara? Anybody know? What? Shteizim. There was one ez Lashem and one ez Lazazel. They had to be identical. They had to be of same height, same age, so on and so forth. And who chose, how did we choose which ez went to Hashem and which ez went? Oh, interesting. So there's something about the fact that there is room for error, which also is room for forgiveness, which also is room for return. Another way I like to say it is if there is no chance, you don't have a chance. It's done. The only reason you have an opportunity to be able to do tshuva is because there is an openness to the possibility of you being different tomorrow than you are today. If everything is determined and locked in, you're stuck. So Yom Kippur is very much a day of goral because goral indicates that there is an openness to possibilities. Not everything is already is shut and closed. In the Midbar, there was no room. You messed up, you died. There was no, right? Think about it. What were the stories in the Midbar? B'nai Israel messed up, snakes, biting them, everybody's dying, right? You messed up, you're, you're complaining for meat, drop dead. How many times? Think about it. I mean, if you're familiar with Sefer Bamidbar, how many times was there a mistake and an immediate response of, of, of punishment? That stopped also. It was a very different regime. There was no room, there was no wiggle room in the Midbar, it was boot camp. There was no wiggle room. Once there's an openness to growth, development, working on, sure there's going to be error. But the thing that allows for you to grow in the first place is in openness to possibility. That's why, by the way, the word for mercy in Lashon HaKodesh is Rachamim, right? Rachamim, the root of Rachamim is Rechem. You know what Rechem is? It's a womb. A womb. And what is a womb if not a space that expands to allow for developing life even though it's not ready yet to live? That's what mercy is. Mercy expands the openness and possibilities of life even though they are not right now worthy. We will give them some latitude. That's what Yom Kippur is. Yeah? And Yehoshua was very much that person. So even though he was a Talmud Muvhak of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? He was the one that was dealing with the people. He was the one that was going between Moshe and the people. He set up, right, says, one of the things I brought you on the seats. Why was Yoshua the one chosen? He set up the base medrash. He set up the chairs, he got the drinks, he did all of that. He created the environment that allowed for people to come and learn from Moshe. He was sensitive to what the people needed. And that's why there's this just beautiful one line. Uh, where is it? On the second page also, one line uh, 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 from, from Gemara Eruvin. Yehoshua ohev Yisrael ayah, second thing. Yehoshua loved Israel. So Moshe Ben didn't love Israel. Of course he loved Israel. But why does it say that about Yehoshua? It says about Yehoshua because Yehoshua made sure that the people had access to Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah. In ways that were just very, not directly related to the learning, but just so that I could sit and learn. So I have a chair to sit on, so I have a drink of water to, to have while I'm sitting. I mean, look, we're, we're not in Olam Abba, we're in Olam Azeh. Those things are very important. Yoshua was very, very sensitive to those things. And amazingly, when you learn the Sefer, which I hope you do, 
you will see that there was no dissension through all of the years of Yehoshua's leadership against him, which is unheard of. He had the full support of all of Klal Yisrael, the entire tenure of his leadership. Remarkable. Because he really did know the people, and he really did understand that they needed room, and that there needed to be some openness for them. So it's all Goral. This is also the reason why, and we're going to close soon, right? I'm going to close this out. In the next, if it's okay, can I have 10 minutes? All right. Yeah. Okay, so remember that Moshe, Yoshua, Moshe asks Yoshua to do a major task. A major task. B'nai Yisrael, it's this week's Pasha. So pay close attention, right? It's very important that we're doing this in this week's Pasha. The sea splits. You know, Am Yisrael, they walk through the sea. Egypt is decimated. They come out. And soon after that, they are attacked. By whom? Amalek. And how does Amalek ta- attack them? Yeah, ambush from behind. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you need to have a punitive strike against them. You can't just take that line. You have to retaliate. Huh? It's not merciless. It's not merciless at this point, but war is war. War is war. It was before, you know, any of the, uh, you know, international... uh, So, so, Agadosh Baruch Hu says, wage war with Amalek. And who's in charge of the troops? Yoshua. So interestingly, the same man who's the man who's setting up the Bet Midrash, you know, and making sure the people have what they need, the same man who has to man the Goral, right, for divvying up of the land, is the man who fights Amalek, interestingly. Do they defeat Amalek? No. What it says is, Vayachalosh Yehoshua at Amalek. They weaken Amalek. And they're able to live to fight another day. By a halosh, right? Pay, again, in this week's parsha, pay close attention to it. They will come very soon. Yoshua is the man who does that. So Yoshua is the first one that really starts the fight that we have with Amalek, which then later on it says midor dor. I mean, this is you know a, a generation long thing. It keeps going on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. What other chag do we have in which goral is central? Purim. The name of the Chag is Goral, right? Pur, Huha Goral. Purim, we have literally a festival that's called Lottery. Yeah, we just don't realize it, but that's the name of the festival. Right, so this is an entire festival that is set up to establish this entire idea that I'm presenting to you that Yoshua started with. And that is that the way that we run with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is not that he manipulates and controls, but that he sets very clear principles. In a sense, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has said everything that needs to be said. Now we say things like, oh, if we only had Nevi'im, you know, again. Like we listened so well to them when we had them. I said, right? Like we said, Chazal said that there were not supposed to be any other books. We got more books because we messed up. And so, what Purim tells us is it took us 
a thousand years to finally figure that out. What out? The whole point of this Brit is that it is us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And that we are to be full standing members of that Brit. And that means that we are meant to derive law from the principles and written Torah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us. We are meant to be able to establish our own understandings, our own life, and our own path, not on our own away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but in joint endeavor with Him. And that's why, of course, famously, I'm sure you've heard a hundred times, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name is not found in Megillah on purpose. Why? Because where do you find HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Just pay attention to your life and the world. That's how He communicates. You're wondering where he is? Well, that's exactly what B'nai Israel were wondering back in this week's parsha when the, Amalek attacks them. Amalek doesn't just come out of the blue. It starts with B'nai Israel going to Moshe Rabbeinu and saying to him, Hayesh Hashem bekirbeinu emayin. Tell us, Moshe, is Hashem with us or isn't he? Vayavo Amalek. Why? Because we make the mistake of thinking that the distance or the allowance of us to be able to run our lives and to essentially determine how it is that we're going to engage with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah and his Klali means that he's not really paying attention. Well, that's a mistake. There's only one other people that think that. Amalek. Amalek believe nobody's paying attention. It's not that they don't believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they just don't believe that he has anything to do with anything, nor does he care. And the only difference between Klali Israel and Amalek is that point. Otherwise, we're the same. Rashid Goyim Amalek, says Bilam, right? Top nation, Amalek. Philosophically, they've got it all down, except for the one bit that you can genuinely live in this world and have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu without him having to control you, tell you what to do, manipulate you. He said everything that needs to be said. No Navi is going to make anything different or better. He has said everything that needs to be said and more. Are we listening? Are we learning from it and applying? Think, how do I apply this to my life? It takes work, but that's what adults do. We look, we learn, we understand, we apply. And it took us a thousand years to get that. But that's what Purim celebrates. And that is why, interestingly, you will know this halacha, that in the cities, the walled cities that celebrate Purim on the 15th, when do they have to be walled from? There's a rule, right? Which walled cities? I mean, you know, uh, not every walled city. Some walled... No, there's only cities that have been walled from this time. Which time? From Yehoshua bin Nun. Wow, that's fascinating. Why? Well, he started it. All of Purim is nothing more than a culmination of Yoshua bin Nun. And recognizing that lotteries are not our foe, it's our friend. Why? Because if you don't have a chance, you don't have a chance. Without chance, you don't have a chance. And that's why the Ari, for example, says that Purim is Kepurim, right? It's Yom Kippurim. That's, that's, all, all of these things are related. 
And I'm not just saying they're related as a nice vort. I'm saying they're related in terms of genuinely the very daily acts of our lives, which is essentially what Sefer Yehoshua is meant to do. Because remember, as Chazal say, it's the five books of Moshe and Sefer Yehoshua. Sefer Yehoshua teaches us how to live as a full-fledged, sovereign, free nation under God. Correct. Precisely right. Because it says Kafalem Harkigigit. You know that one, right? Where Galushu said, I'll hold the mountain over you. Hold the mountain over us? That's quite coercive, isn't it? And Chazal say, They say, truth of the matter, yeah, it was coercive, and it should mean that we should be able to opt out. And they say, yes, accept that Purim. Because Purim, it says, that in Purim, we became adults as a nation, right? Nationally, we achieved adulthood. Without the mountain over us. And we understood what it means to be in relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that we don't need him peeking through the curtains every few minutes to say, Mommy's here. We came of age, genuinely in Purim. And so we're still working on it. Right? But Sefer Yoshua is what models that. And that is why Chazal say, on the one hand, the only books that were meant to be written is the five books of Moshe and Sefer Yoshua. Sefer Yoshua teaches us how to live free and sovereign under God in Brit. And that includes Goral, it includes distance, it includes room for you to be you, it includes joint endeavor of HaKadosh Baruch Hu determining principle and you determining application. And at the same time, Chazal say, and later on, all the books are going to go away, except for the five books of the Torah and Megillat Esther. Why? Because Megillat Esther was the culmination of Yoshua. I took Yoshua and actually brought it in. We owned it at that time. Which is why the walled cities have to be from the time of Yoshua bin Nun. Not from the time of Shushan Abira, interestingly. No, from the time of Yoshua bin Nun. Why? He started the Amalek fight. We went with Ramadan because they were the only other nation and said, yeah, it's all open, it's all free, the HaKadosh Hu not paying attention. We said, no, it is all open, it is all free, except there's an adult relationship going on over here. And there's room and respect for us in our life and HaKadosh Baruch Hu as our Lord and our God. And there is an interaction that is between us that runs for all time. And that is something that is very important for us to be able to remember. So that is the overarching, broad-stroke theme of Sefer Yoshua. Highly encourage you to take a look at it and kind of read it through in those terms. And Bezrat Hashem, next time we will look at Sefer Shoftim and see what's going on over there, because there's a big shift in that Sefer. Mm-hmm.